Hello and welcome. This is 21. Episode 21.1 The Canyon of the Crescent Moon. The desert seems endless. All you can see around you is the brownish dirt color of rock, sand, and dirt. The year, the year is 335 BC. You are part of a trade caravan headed from Babylon to Egypt. This is not your first trip from the far side of Mesopotamia to the near side, but this is the first time that you've done the trip over land. You'd normally either take the Euphrates River up into Assyria, and then down through Phoenicia and Judea, and then on to Egypt. Or, you'd go around the Arabian Peninsula, come up the Red Sea, and disembark in Egypt. However, this time, you have a specific cargo with you all the way from the far eastern edge of the Persian Empire. It's some mysterious jungle item. You don't even know what it is. But you do know that you have to deliver it within a certain time period. And travel by sea, at this time, was almost impossible to make the deadline. The strong storms which would frequent the Arabian Gulf were coming up especially strong this year. So the shortcut through the desert was the only option. But traveling across the desert was nothing short of challenging. Sandstorms would come up out of nowhere and pollute the water if you weren't careful, as well as get you turned around all sideways. Bandits lined the roads and would steal your provisions, or you might have even just not packed enough to make it from one side to the other. Now you knew you were stopping at some city out in the desert, which was an essential stopping point for anyone crossing the desert. A few of the people who were traveling with you have stopped at the city before, and told you it was truly a marvel to behold. A city in the middle of the desert, yet it flourished. You figured the city had to have been built around a large oasis for it to flourish the way they were talking about, but you weren't aware of any major oases in the northern Arabian desert. You just assumed it was someplace you had never heard of before. But as you continued on, you wondered where this oasis would be. There were no obvious points where an oasis would become, such as a depression point in the ground. The desert was just flat, with only the bare, bland boulders obscuring the skyline. That and the other odd caravan passing you, heading the other way to Babylon. As you continued on your journey, the caravans became more and more frequent. Some would travel north, not just east towards Babylon. As you pass one caravan, you ask one of the servants, How far is it to the city? He tells you that it should be no more than a day or two. And instead of seeing a depression, you see a large rock formation ahead of you. And it's about a day's trip ahead. But you still haven't seen a green plant, a stream, or even a puddle of water to suggest that there would be a flourishing city right in front of you. But there was substantially more traffic around you now than before, so you figured whatever the servant told you had to be true. 
Toward the end of the next day, you and your caravan have just about reached the rock formation. The sun is beginning to set, and there is a beautiful orange glow about the desert. You had migrated towards the back of the caravan to deal with a problem that had come up, so you weren't immediately aware that your caravan had begun to move through a narrow pass in the rocks. You noticed it when the sun disappeared. You looked around you, and the rocks seemed to glow in the same orange color as the desert sunset. In this narrow pass, there were a lot more people. There were vendors selling food, water, and trinkets. Other caravans passed you, and soldiers were standing guard. Suddenly, the city was there in front of you, glowing in the sunset. There, carved in the desert sandstone, was the most beautiful city you had ever seen. Exquisite craftsmanship. Columns, elaborate carvings, and other inscriptions greeted you and each and every caravan to this all-important trade city. You can't believe what you are seeing. Located in this canyon of a crescent moon, this city, although it seems invisible or lost to the world, was bursting with life in the middle of one of the harshest deserts in the world. Where you have just arrived is the 21st and final wonder of the ancient world, the ancient Jordanian city of Petra. Hidden in the rocks and deserts of southern modern-day Jordan, Petra was a city carved out of the sandstone rock and served as a vital resting point, refueling station, and break for the trade caravans all throughout the ancient world. Its presence made traveling across the northern Arabian desert not only possible, but a must for any traveler or trader going from one side of Mesopotamia to the other. But as always, before we get too far into the history of this wonder, some context first. Petra is located south of Jerusalem and Amman, the capital of Jordan, and is just about a midpoint between the Red Sea and the city of Damascus in the northern province of Assyria. It was almost an exact midpoint in the desert from one end of the Fertile Crescent to the other. This location made Petra a perfect hub for ancient caravans traveling across the ancient world. The rock formations which Petra was built in and around offered cover and also small reservoirs of water to travelers for thousands of years. However, Unlike most of the other wonders on this list, we do not know how Petra was built, or even when. The Petra we see today in film and in pictures was a project that took hundreds if not thousands of years to complete. However, this does not mean that the ancient city is not without its impressiveness. However, I want to focus on what we do know about the city instead of what we don't. The first mention in the historical record that we get of the great historical city is in what are known as the Armana Letters. The Armana Letters are a series of clay tablets written during the New Kingdom of Egypt, dating sometime between 1360 and 1332 BC. These tablets describe a correspondence between Egypt, Canaan, and other neighboring kingdoms. One of these kingdoms is called Pel. Sela, or Seir, the same name for one place. Historians believe 
that this name is for the ancient city of Petra. But something interesting about the Armana letters is that they were not written in any Egyptian language. They were written in almost a hybrid language known as Akkadian cuneiform, a language fairly common in and around the area of Petra, but not Egypt. Akkadian cuneiform was the parent language to more common languages throughout the area, such as Hebrew or Phoenician. But the Hebrew connection to Petra is one that is extensive and intriguing and recurring throughout history. For starters, the way to get to Petra. Due to its location amongst the desert rocks, pathways to the ancient city were limited. However, one such passage came up from the south and was said to pass what is known as Jabal Harun, or the Temple of Aaron. Aaron was the brother of Moses and the first high priest of Judaism. He is an incredibly important figure in Jewish history, and yet the idea that his tomb would be so close to Petra isn't that far-fetched. The Jews were told by God that for their disobedience and refusal to trust him, they would wander the desert for 40 years and not be allowed to enter their promised land, which is modern-day Canaan. During those 40 years, Aaron died, and undoubtedly the Jews buried him in a tomb somewhere out in the desert. So it's quite possible that this tomb was close to Petra, for habitable places out in the desert were few and far between. The Hebrew connection continues with who were the first inhabitants of Petra. We do not know when they came to inhabit the city, but Petra was first inhabited by a group of people called the Edomites. The Edomites are a commonly mentioned people in the Old Testament of the Bible, and are often an enemy of the Jews. They were the descendants of Esau, one of the twin sons of Isaac, brother to Jacob, and grandson of Abraham. They lived just outside of modern-day Canaan, the Jewish promised land for centuries. Their territory included the area of Petra. It is quite possible that it was an early kingdom of Edom, which the Armana letters are written to, or even by, but there's no way to know for sure. The kingdom of Edom and the Israelites had numerous battles which are mentioned in the Old Testament. Each of these battles had significant casualties. However, the kingdom of Edom really established itself after the death of the Jewish king Solomon around 928 BC. For the first three kings of a united Israel, Edom was under its thumb. But once Solomon died, the kingdom of Edom rebelled against the southern kingdom of Judah. And with Judah currently involved in a civil war against the northern kingdom Israel at the time, Edom was pretty much left alone to do whatever it wanted. They would constantly be a thorn in the side of Judah until King Nebuchadnezzar conquered the southern kingdom. For the next few centuries, we have no mention of Petra. The next thing we know is that a nomadic people from the Arabian Peninsula, called the Nabataeans, settled in the city. They came to the area around Petra, about 400 BC. How much of the city existed before the Nabataeans got there, 
we don't know. But boy, their impact on the ancient world was immediate. But we do know this. For a nomadic people to decide that they wanted to settle somewhere on a more permanent basis, there had to be something substantial in the area already. It was under the Nabataeans' rule that Petra really became a dominant city in the ancient world. Being from the Arabian Peninsula, the Nabataeans were used to having struggles when finding enough water and vegetation to feed their herds. So when they settled in Petra, they developed an elaborate system of cisterns, dams, and irrigation canals to catch rain or floodwaters, to store them, and then redistribute them to their fields and watering holes. Petra only receives about seven and a half inches of rain per year, but when it comes, it tends to come all at once. And the desert sands are not like the dirt that we are used to. The water doesn't get absorbed, it just runs. So having a way to store this rainwater became an essential part of the Nabataeans' ability to live in the city. The genius system they came up with allowed them to store water for months at a time and be able to survive the long periods of drought. How much of these water controlling systems were in place before the Nabataeans got there, we don't know. But the Nabataeans mastered it. Their ability to turn Petra from a wayward outpost to a flourishing city brought them incredible wealth due to the caravan trade that they started out of the city. Due to the sudden influx of wealth and importance, the Nabataeans made Petra the capital of their kingdom, and Petra quickly became one of the richest cities in the ancient world. They became so wealthy so quickly that they started to draw eyes from other major players around the world. As far as we know, both the Babylonians and Persians left the Nabataean kingdom alone. It's highly possible that they were a vassal state of the Persian Empire, paid some taxes to the Persian king for in exchange what amounted to autonomy. When Alexander the Great came down from Macedonia and conquered the Persian Empire, we don't know if he stopped at Petra either. It would make sense, as he seemed to stop at all the major cities in the ancient world at the time, but we have no documentation of it. Petra, though, was quite possibly one of the largest trading cities in the world at the time. At its height, Petra had as many as 20,000 people living there. But either way, it was once Alexander died that the city and the kingdom began to feel the greedy eyes of the world stare it down. Each of Alexander's generals began to try and establish their own kingdoms and dynasties in the ancient world. With the wealthy, relatively small kingdom of the Nabataeans seeming awfully tempting. In 312 BC, General Antigonus, one of the generals from Alexander's army, invaded the Nabataean kingdom and attempted to take Petra. However, the Nabataeans defeated the Greek invaders, as their knowledge of the land helped them to rebuff the battle-hardened and more experienced Greek fighters. Now I do want to take a quick moment here and take a little sidetrack. I want to talk about the name Petra. Petra, in fact, is simply the Greek word for rock. They called it this 
because of the city being partially built into the sandstone of the desert. While we do not know the original name for the city, simply calling it Rock in whatever language seemed to have been a theme among the neighboring kingdoms. For example, there are numerous references to a place called Selah, the Hebrew word for rock, as we mentioned earlier. Now, both Petra and Selah do not mean a town amongst rocks. They merely refer to a natural rock fortress or geographical feature. So in both the Old Testament and the account written by Diodorus Siculus, the Greek historian who documented Antigonus's campaign, don't necessarily refer to a specific town or even a place. While this may be the case, for the Greeks to have been rebuffed at quote-unquote Petra, there had to have been a substantial population there, which could produce a serious army. As far as the original name of the city, there is one possibility. The Jewish historian Josephus describes the city called Petra as a city which quote, ranks highest in the land of the Arabs, end quote, and was called Rekeme by the locals. They called it Rekeme after the man who supposedly found the city, a man of royal birth. The name Rekeme was inscribed on a rock wall close to one of the entrances to the city. However, this inscription has since been covered up by modern construction projects and is no longer visible. Alright, sidetrack over. Back to the history of Petra. After defeating the Greeks in 312 BC, Petra enjoyed about four centuries of peace and prosperity. It truly became the greatest Arabic city in the ancient world, and the Nabataean kingdom continued to flourish. And it seems that it was during this time that a lot of the architecture, which would become the famous face of Petra, would be carved. The pillars, the columns, the tombs, the royal buildings, etc. that were created there were very similar in architectural means to other Hellenistic kingdoms. These were the main trade partners for the Nabataeans, so it makes sense that their culture, architecture, and influence would have been impacted by these other kingdoms. There are many examples of this, but the most obvious example was what became known as the treasury of the city. The treasury was carved out of the rock and is 24 meters or 79 feet wide and 37 meters or 112 feet tall and gives reference to the architecture of Alexandria. Alexandria was the other main trade city in the ancient world. So for Petra to take some examples from it, it makes sense. One interesting design feature is that the treasury depicts both Egyptian and Greek goddesses. This combination of the Greek and Egyptian gods shows that both empires were trade partners with the Nabataeans through Petra, and that the Nabataeans wanted to incorporate that into their architecture. All of the famous carvings at Petra demonstrate this influence from other major powers. There's very little from the original Nabataeans. There are plenty of other impressive architectural features at Petra. Frankly, there's too many to get into here, but I do want to name a few more. There were things like the High Place of Sacrifice, which was the center of worship in Petra. 
there was a pool and garden complex in the middle of the city. This elaborate complex demonstrated the skill the Nabataeans had at harvesting water. The complex had a large pool, an island pavilion, and even an intricate hydraulic system to keep the water moving. Stagnant water is never safe to drink, and the Nabataeans knew that. So they created a way to have their stored water moving in order to keep it safe to drink year-round. Beyond this garden, there was a large street, which housed the only tree in the entire city. The purpose of this tree was supposed to symbolize the peace and unity that was offered in the Nabataean kingdom. Almost like they would be a neutral player in the conflicts of the other Hellenistic powers around them. However, once the Romans took control of the city, they erected 72 columns on each side of the street. There was also an elaborate exterior platform, along with extensive royal tombs. These tombs were some of the most elaborate tombs in the ancient Middle East, and some of the most elaborate outside of Egypt. But speaking of the Romans, this brings us to the next major shift in the history of Petra. For about 400 years, the Nabataeans and Petra enjoyed a time of peace and prosperity. But a new bully was making his way onto the block. The Romans. As the Romans began asserting their dominance over the Mediterranean, the Nabataeans and Petra were not excluded from their reach. In 106 AD, the Romans annexed the northern part of Arabia, the part which included Petra. They made Petra the new capital of this territory. Despite this annexation, Petra continued to be one of the hottest trade cities in the ancient world, and the Romans began constructing what would be known as the Petran Roman Road to connect the city to the capital. However, Petra would not thrive for long. Not much longer after the Roman annexation, the city of Palmyra in the territory further north called Syria became a more popular trade city than Petra. Palmyra was more in line with the other world powers at the time, including the Sassanid Persians and even the Chinese. The world powers were no longer in southern Mesopotamia. They were further north. The balance of power began to shift, and sadly, Petra began to fall out of favor with world trade. Then, in 363, things went from bad to worse for the city. Petra was struck by a massive earthquake, which brought a number of buildings and rock carvings crashing to the ground. But what made this earthquake even worse was the fact that the earthquake crippled the all-important water retention systems in the city. Without this, the city would no longer be able to support the number of people, caravans, and travelers which frequented the city. However, despite all these odds, Petra still continued to carry some weight. During the Byzantine Empire, the city was the capital of the province called Palestinia III, and they built numerous churches in the city. In one of these churches, known as the Byzantine Church, I know, such great creativity there, there were a bunch of papyri scrolls which were found. These scrolls documented a number of contracts. 
These contracts were dated to the mid-6th century AD. And these contracts showed that while Petra might not have been at its height anymore, it still was an important city to the Byzantine Empire. But it would not be important for much longer. In the 7th century AD, the Islamic Caliphates, which originated in Arabia, began their sweeping conquest of the Middle East, North Africa, and into Western Europe. It was at some point during these conquests that Petra was abandoned by the Byzantine Christians, and the city fell to the Muslims. We do not know when this happened, though, as there is no record in an Arabic source that tells us when they occupied the city. The next time we see Petra come up is not for about 300 years. During the First Crusade, about 1100 AD, Christian King Baldwin I built a number of castles, two of them in the city of Petra, in an attempt to secure a pathway to the Indian Ocean via the Red Sea from Jerusalem. But this plan would not last very long. Less than a century later, one of the greatest conquerors ever, Saladin, destroyed the Christian fortifications in and around Petra, and forced them to abandon the city once again. Unlike previous rulers, though, Petra would not become the center of some massive, expansive trade empire. Instead, the Muslims abandoned the city, and left it to the desert. Petra would remain abandoned and lost in the desert for about 700 years. Other than the occasional shepherd, Bedouin, or lost traveler who used Petra for shelter, the city saw no one pass through its famous passageways. That was until 1812 when Swiss explorer Johann Ludwig Burckhardt rediscovered the city. He described it as a once great city, and he was right. Now that Petra had been brought into the light of the Europeans, archaeologists would begin coming there. Beginning in 1929, British archaeologists began coming and excavating the once magnificent city. However, one of the most awesome and impressive finds in and around Petra was not made by any archaeologist. In fact, it was made quite recently. What was found was some monumental structure buried beneath the sands around the city. What this structure is, we don't know. But Petra has always had its secrets. Perhaps this is just the latest in a long line of secrets to be discovered at one of the most impressive cities in history. Today, Petra is one of the new seven wonders of the world. This list was created fairly recently and includes structures like the Great Wall, the Taj Mahal, and Chichen Itza. Petra became a UNESCO World Heritage Site in the early 2000s, and efforts have been made to attempt conservation. But sadly, time is taking its toll on this wonder. Petra is slowly falling apart, as rock does over time. There are efforts to try and preserve it, but that might be a futile project. Without the elaborate Nabataean water conservation systems in place, the serious flooding which comes with the rains is causing damage. This is another example of how the ancient peoples were able to solve a problem that we today, so far, 
have yet to do. Today, there are actually still people who live in this magnificent city. They act as tour guides, as Petra is a highly popular tourist site. Not so much at the moment, with the political state of Israel and Jordan what it is right now, but hopefully that will pass, and people can enjoy the wonder of Petra again. The people who live there tell stories and legends of other secrets in the surrounding area, and take people to see these mythical and quite possibly divine locations. One such place is supposed to be the spot where Moses struck a rock and God caused water to flow from it to quench the thirst of the Israelite people. I doubt that this is true, but there is no way to know for sure, and the power of belief cannot be underestimated. Whether it's the sands, the time, or the beauty of the magnificent city, Petra has long been one of the greatest cities in the world. Literally carved from the desert and revealing its secrets to the desert alone, Petra was, and still is, one of the most fascinating locations in the world. And that's it. That's the 21st wonder of the ancient world. There is one episode remaining, but I can't believe we have finished the list. It has been an awesome journey throughout the ancient world. I know I myself have learned much, and I hope you have as well. From the mountains of China, to the deserts of Mesopotamia, and from the rivers of southern Europe, to the jungles of Mesoamerica, the ancient world is so much more impressive than anything we can put into words. Everything that these quote-unquote primitive people accomplished blows me away each and every time I study them. But there is one more episode to go, so I won't say goodbye here. Next week, we will close out the show. We will name the honorable mentions to the show as well, for the ancient world is greater than 21. Oh, my God.